Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fear and Trembling with Horror, the podcast that brings you all things horror into conversation with philosophy, theology, religion, literature, and all the stuff of life. As always, I'm your host, Jared, and I'm here joined with my good buddy, Ryan. Again, the basis of our friendship comes through watching horror films while we were in college, so very, very long ago. On today's episode, we are discussing Rosemary's Baby, which is a wonderful follow-up to our uh, previous episode where we discuss the film Barbarian with the monster named Mother and all kinds of questions about um, maternal, the maternal bonds and the maternal love as it's actually affected by abuse and cycles of trauma. Uh, in today's episode, we're dealing with uh, motherhood in a different kind of way of looking at it through Rosemary's Baby, a classic, one of the uh, the greatest horror films ever made. I would say it's probably on a list of uh, my just uh, very high up on, on my list of just general greatest film, enjoyable, uh, enjoyable is a hard word to say, but you know, one of my th- films I think was one of the best ever made and, and it's very high in the echelon there. Uh, before we dig in, this is, uh, you know, I mean, let's just say Roman Polanski has his own record for wrongdoing and, um, uh, we're not advocating anything about him. He's a, he's a fantastic film director. Uh, we also know that Mia Farrow has suffered under a lot of the uh, abuse uh, at the hands of, uh, um, uh, what was his name, Woody Allen. And there's uh, documentaries and stuff that's come out about that recently. And uh, so some of these characters that are involved with this is all rife for uh, moral um questioning and outrage and reaction we're not going there today we're gonna basically look at this film and its context and try to discern some of its uh points of view and uh try to take in maybe how to watch this film and uh, take a deeper meaning from it all right my good pal it's good to have you on tonight to be here yeah why don't you go ahead and start as we kind of hop into an overview shall we yeah let's let's jump in to see why this uh this film is so terrifying it is it is terrifying you agree it's actually scary no it's it yeah it's certainly and and more so i guess if you were you know uh, a woman um but what year and what year did it come out so this film came out in 1968. So it's, it's certainly... really hard for a movie that came out in 68 to still be scary, but I think it does the yeah, trick, don't you? It's very unnerving. Um, you know, going back and kind of rewatching it, you know, it wasn't my first time you seeing it. You kind this of film. rewatched it or you just Oh no, it? I did. And then I, you know, and then I've also gone back and looked at different scenes and and stuff like that to kind of pick up on some of the nuances. You kind you know. of picked up? Oh, I'm just yeah, picking no. on you yeah, tonight. Yeah. It's been a long yeah. day. It's sure, been a long sure. day. You know, yeah, so I guess I should mean what I say and say what I mean, not kind of. I did go back through and kind of obsess over some, you know, certain scenes. And it is a masterful, a masterful psychological horror film. Uh, Roman, let's just not beat around that bush. Um, wait, I probably Stop. said that given. Anyway. <laughs> Don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. I would like to read the novel. You know, knowing that both this film came out in 68 and there was a 2014 kind of retelling with Zoe. Um, uh, she was in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Saldinia? Saldana. Uh, Saldana. And, you know, there, it was a, basically a two-part miniseries, I guess. 
Uh, and I, I started like the first 10 minutes of that and it picks up in a very different place than this film does. So anyway, I digress. Okay. But this film came out in 1968 and it definitely, you can see the embodiment of that 60s horror, you know, um, and we can jump into that when we start talking about the themes. But let's get to the story. And the story uh, revolves around Rosemary Woodhouse. That's Mia Farrow's, Farrow's character and her husband, Guy. What Which before we started recording, you were hating on the name guy, and you said that the <laughs> you said that the screenwriters yeah. were phoning it in. Hey, yeah. guy! It did. Ira Levin really name her her husband Guy? I don't know. Somebody, please help me. It'd be better if his name was Guy Man. <laughs> guy Man, yeah. So John Cassav, how do you say his name? Cassavetes. Cassavetes, yes. He, I think. he plays a. I yeah. I should probably have looked that up. Anyway, we're. We're moving on. He's kind so of a he, really well-known actor, but continue on. Yeah, man. He plays a struggling actor who moved into a new apartment in an old Gothic-style building in New York City. And the film opens with this long, like, you know, slow camera movement over the New York skyline and basically this labyrinth of apartment buildings and just other buildings in general. And it settles on this Gothic-style building in New York. And the couple is eager to start, you know, their new family and settle into their new home despite... Uh, this eerie atmosphere and soon we'll find out unsettling history. Uh, they move in and can I just have pause this wonderful, for a moment? Have this wonderful tryst in the dark with no furniture. Anyway, carry on. Again, you and just circling in on that topic. Anyway, I'm sorry. it's it's abrupt. It's like, hey, let's make love. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I Ouch, just, I just want to point I mean, out that, uh, you know, thinking about this is a standard, you know, American modern trope, right? Uh, couples, they're married. Couple gets a, a new place to live. Couple wants to build their family. Like, yeah, this yeah. is normal. It's normal America. It's not middle America, but it's normal America. It is in right. this Gothic or Romanesque building. It's kind of creepy, but still, you can imagine that a lot of folks live in such buildings, and a lot of people live in this building. And so mm -hmm. these are supposed to be normal folk doing a normal, very normal thing, wanting very normal things. Yes, very normal things. So uh, soon after moving in, <clears throat> Rosemary and Guy befriend their elderly, elderly neighbors, Minnie, who's played by Ruth Gordon, and Roman Castavet, uh, played by Sidney uh, Blackmer. Hope I pronounced that right. And they take an unusual interest into the young couple. It's very interesting that um, Rosemary, when invited over to Minnie and uh, Roman's house, basically talked Guy into it, saying, It's only going to be this one time. We're not going to get into like a long term friendship with these people. Oops. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting <laughs> because I mean, like I, I was thinking of our neighbors that recently moved and they, you know, they were, they were retired and uh, seniors and how wonderful of a relationship we had and that they had with our children, that this kind of relationship can flourish and yeah. blossom in communities that people are open to each other. And as you've noted, Rosemary's open to this and Guy is not. And uh, <laughs> right. that doesn't uh, stay the way it stay that way the whole time it certainly it? yeah it, it certainly doesn't stay that way i should note that in this overview we're certainly leaving out uh one of the um things that 
brings the old couple and... Well, don't uh, leave it out. Yeah. One of the things that brings them together is that there was a house guest of Minnie and Roman that kind of befriends Rosemary in the basement of the... In the basement of the building, they're doing laundry and they get to talking about, you know, who they are and they introduce each each other. And this guest, um, whose name kind of escapes me right now, uh, I believe, um, let me see here. Yeah, her name, her name is escaping me for some unknown reason. Um, but I think her name was Terry, uh, played by Victoria Vetri, Vetri, eh. Anyway, she she basically has glowing praise for for Minnie and Roman. Basically, gives them credit for saving her, you know, because she otherwise would have been, you know, on the street in the gutter on dope, as she as this character says. Um, but <clears throat> there's an unfortunate event that happens. Uh, Terry jumps out of a window, and Rosemary is basically distraught because she identifies the body lying on the street and. Minnie and Roman, you know, come up and Rosemary says some nice things. So the next day, Minnie decides to stop by their apartment, knocks on the door and says, thank you for saying those nice words. Come over for dinner. And Rosemary can't necessarily say no because she is who she is. So they take this. You mean that she's a kind of passionate and caring. She's a kind person. Yes. She's a kind, uh, compassionate, you know, neighborly person uh, has this kind soul. And so she talks Guy into going over, and they have a wonderful time at this dinner. More on that to come, um, because I think it's really one of the keys uh, to this film. Um, it's a it's a good moment of foreshadowing. But anyway, as Rosemary becomes uh, increasingly isolated from her friends and family, she starts. Whoa! Hold on Whoa, a second, what man. Did I, do? Did I you go know... too far? I went too fast. Went too fast. No, no. I just, just tell us the foreshadowing, pal. So don't spoil us. Well, I. So they just have this us. dinner. They have this dinner where there's this power dynamic between um, Rosemary and Roman, and the camera is very intentional. Once they get into the actual dinner scene, you know, he looks like this elderly gentleman. You know, he's nice. He's like, I've been everywhere. Just name it after he passes out the drinks. And this is before their steaks are done. And she's like, oh, I'm from Omaha. He's like, I've been there. And guys from Baltimore. He's like, I've been there. Great cities, you know, whatever. He's just this very endearing, you know, uh, a kookity old man um, <clears throat> who means well. So there's a timer that goes off and Minnie's like, okay, don't, don't drink your drinks yet. The steaks are done. And then it cuts to them sitting at the table. And it's in this over-the-shoulder shot that frames Roman and Rosemary in like this. He's sitting. It's like an over-the-shoulder shot of Roman and uh, Rosemary. And I'm not doing a very good job describing this scene uh, because her Rosemary's sitting next to both her husband and Roman. And then it would be Minnie to her husband guy's left and Roman's right. And you can't see them. They're not, they're not in the screen. It's just the two. And all right. They're, all, yeah. right. all right. All right. Anyway, right. they're having, no, 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 no. I am going to get this. You're, you're, you're saying that the kindly old couples back is to the camera. I'm saying that quit guys, drinking. Gross. Ah, I'm sorry. I'm parched. 
I'm saying that Guy's back is to the camera and Minnie is off screen. So the only only person of the old couple that you can see is Roman. And the only person of the young couple that you can see is Rosemary. So Rosemary is sitting to Roman's left. And his wife, Minnie, is sitting to his right off screen. And Guy is sitting uh, to Rosemary's left. But the camera is placed right over Guy's shoulder. So center screen is Roman. And off to the right is Rosemary. Okay, yeah. A lot of work to get there. Okay, got yeah. it. Woo! And you can clearly see that the scene, this it's set up to see Rosemary's reaction to the words that are coming out of Roman's mouth on the topic of the Pope not visiting a city where there, where there are no, basically where there's no newspaper coverage, which leads to this whole conversation about religion. And he basically says, oh, dear, you're not religious, are you? You know, in, in this question to Rosemary. And she's like, well, I was raised Catholic, but now I'm not sure. And this this whole power dynamic, you know, she basically says that even though I'm I'm not sure now, we should still respect the Pope because of his status and because of his um, because of his station. And basically, Roman says uh, after her husband says that it's all showbiz, right? And Roman's like, exactly, it's all show business. Um, to disparage the to disparage the church and and Rosemary basically says no 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 we need to respect the pope because he is the pope after all and Roman basically says that no we don't have to respect him just because he pretends to be holy and then he goes on to this whole diatribe of um basically hating on organized religion of all creeds not just the catholic the Catholic creed and many kind of chimes in. Yes. The money that they spend on the robes and the jewels. And, you know, he makes this comment about the, their robes and their rituals and all these things. So it kind of foreshadows his distaste for religion, which I find ironic. And it kind of shows her kind of in this, you know, in this space, in this conversation where she's outnumbered three to one whenever, and it's making her, you can see it makes her visibly uncomfortable as she doesn't really make eye contact with Roman once he starts on this, down this road. You know, she's kind of looking down on her food and you never see Guy's reaction and you never see Minnie's reaction. It's just those two. Okay. So if I can uh, kind of stop right here, you got me saying kind of now. Darn you. Rats. If I can actually stop here, I'm going to say that if the film has some significant tent poles, one of them is wrapped up around the concept of neighbor, uh, the neighborliness or the neighbor. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's an enduring human question about who is my neighbor. Uh, it's been asked before in religious traditions. And certainly with the rise of 20th century suburban life and city life, it, our engagement with neighbors and proximity to us is a very interesting one. Uh, and now secondly, we have religion, which it's interesting as this film comes out, as you say, in uh, 1967. 68. 68, pardon me, which makes it even more interesting. The same mm-hmm. year that the Human Vitae, uh, which is a papal encyclical that's uh, written by Pope Paul the sixth, much maligned as it was in the time, was where the Catholic Church really came out strongly against uh, birth control. 
And so it was, uh, you know, the 60s were already a tumultuous decade in terms of uh, the age of authenticity, the youth movement, free love, but also social upheaval and unrest. We've had the assassination of a president. Uh, you have a sa- the assassination of the civil rights leader and minister, Martin Luther King Jr. You have the assassination of Bobby Kennedy in 68 that happens. We have the moon landing that happens in, in the, around right around the same time frame. People are asking significant questions. They're doubting um, power structures and authority like the United States government and yeah. the military industrial complex. The Vietnam War is being protested because it's the first war that Americans have seen televised. Yeah. We are questioning um, the, 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 you know, our gen, the, the, the youth are questioning their parents' generation as to why we have a problem with communism. <laughs> you right. got the church, the Catholic church that's making statements against the new science coming out on birth control. And you have people who are rejecting that um, in favor of a more uh, liberated sense of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to find out in a little bit that this is the year after Time magazine uh, actually came out in 19, actually it's two years after in, mm. um, 1966, the cover of new uh, time magazine asked the question, is God dead? Uh, and she actually reads that time magazine. Exactly. That's why I'm bringing it up. The cover is black. The words are in mm-hmm. red. And it makes a, a guest appearance in this film that, um, Mia Farrow's character picks up and takes a look at his God. Yeah, and this is actually towards the end when she's in like a full-on panic and believes that, you know, she's being um, stalked, if you will, and uh, for some type of witch coven. Yeah, why don't you take us through there? So take take us from this dinner and kind of... So from this dinner, yeah, from this dinner, and it's, it's interesting or it's important to note that after this conversation, it turns to... Uh, Roman having this conversation about the plague Luther and how it epitomizes the hypocrisy of the Catholic Church and all churches. But it's important because he brings up Guy's acting career and basically says that, well, you're a really good actor and you just need the right things to happen for you in order for your career to take off. So uh, we come out of that dinner and, you know, the relationship between Rosemary and Guy is still very playful at this point. Uh, and then there is, even though she starts to experience kind of strange occurrences and has bizarre nightmares that kind of make her kind of uneasy. And this is before the scene uh, that we'll talk about, I guess. Um, but <clears throat> let's needless to say, Rosemary becomes pregnant. Should we should we kind of gloss over what happens or how she becomes pregnant, or do we want to talk about it now? No, just just tell it. I mean, yeah. So so basically, uh, Rosemary uh, one night, Rosemary and her husband Guy are having dinner, and Minnie makes them a dessert, <laughs> and it's the night where they've circled on their calendar at this point. Rosemary and Guy, Guy has given Rosemary the, the greatest gift ever and said that they can have children. And so it's now they're circling, they're, they're circling on the calendar, you know, days when it's, you know, when they can, you know, when it's when, good for when them. When storks fly across the night sky. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. When uh, she's ovulating or whatever. You and was that of, dessert chalky? 
Yes, it was very chalky, and it was like some chocolate dessert. And and he's like, "Oh, it's not chalky. It tastes great." And she's like, "Yeah, it tastes great." Well, <laughs> it makes rosemary kind of delusional. Doesn't have any effect on him, but basically he carries her to bed. And whenever he gets her to bed, that's whenever this dream happens of um, basically being bedded by some type of of uh, demonic. Yeah, <laughs> she looks up and sees her husband naked. She sees mm-hmm. the neighbors naked, and yes. there is a Satan figure or a satanic figure. Now, satanic I've figure. I've heard so many times that this is played by the real life. Anton LaVey, the founder of the uh, Satanic Church. I'm not sure I've ever seen that validated or invalidated. I, I you know, like, yeah. do you know anything about that? I, I do not know anything about that. And if it is, he's under a, a certain, under a different name um, here on the IMDb credits, you know. Um, but All right. Well, fine. Yeah, it doesn't it, matter. It's creepy yeah, as it is creepy. All get out. And she's and she's and, in a stupor, and she's yeah. not in her own control. She doesn't have control of her faculties. She's that's right. And it, 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 it is terror. It's actually very terrifying. It doesn't even matter if it was Satan character. The the right. the, 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 the the you are being acted upon in this scene, and the camera the POV shot, or the the, the shot itself, kind of makes the viewer feel that. Oh yes, it does a very good job of that because it's got a a very like top down angle from you know the Satan Satan character's point of view looking at her and her face, and then it's also got the reverse angle of her looking up at him, and it's extreme close up on his eyes. Mm. Um, and if that's not if that, that's, that's important, not the eyes messed up enough, and and you know you could probably write that off, you know if you're a viewer. As you know, she's delusional. This is a dream sequence because it looks from a from a look perspective, it looks totally different from the rest of the film to this point. Even the the nightmare that she had had about the nun, uh, it looks different, right? Uh, so this is an altogether different experience and a terrifying one. You know, being sur- you're <laughs> not finishing a thought. I think you said you could write that off, and then you want to say, but. No, um, no, well, yeah, yeah, no, I'm getting, yeah, I, I did, I didn't finish a sentence. Um, oh, I'm so rude. Dang. Okay. No, 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 I, I didn't because I, I wanted, I, I wanted to come back to it and say you could write it off. Okay. Um, but, uh, and now, and now I've lost my thought. Rats. Man alive. But I'm, but it, I'm not our- going to, but I'm not going to write it off because, uh, essentially, you know, she comes back, you know, it, it, it's, it's bad enough that that, ha- that that takes place. But when she wakes up and she has marks on her back, and do you remember what her husband told her? Yes, I do. She, she's concerned because she's got scratch marks. Yeah. And, uh, and she's very groggy. And she, she's, yeah, she's very groggy. And, you know, she was in that vulnerable state of sleep. At best, at very best, she is in the vulnerable state of sleep. Uh, at the worst, she's been drugged and Satan actually raped her, right. uh, in the middle somewhere is that she was drugged and, 
um, and, and her husband raped her because <laughs> that's makes, his answer. And just has this throwaway comment of like necrophilia. And you're just like, what is going yeah, on? No, it's, uh, yeah, well, you know, you want to have a baby and you were tired. So I just went ahead and, you know, had just, my way with you. Yeah, I just gave it to you. Like, Except for the way the guy, you know, Gary <laughs> or Guy Woodhouse is. Guy. You know, he's very middle-aged, just smoking a cigarette voice, you know. He's like, oh, you know, what's the matter, baby? <laughs> you know. <Right. laughs> he's got that mid-20s. <laughs> what's the matter? <coughs> you liked it. You right. know it. You, <laughs> you tell, you know, and all is very, yeah. it's a very rape, yeah. rapey, very rape culture, very icky, very, yeah. and it's meant to be. It yeah, is absolutely it, it, meant to be. It, it definitely, it definitely is like the first, the first moment where you see this fracture in her relationship with her husband. Ding, here's the next tent pole. So you got the neighborliness, then you got religion. Here's the next tent pole. And I'm going to argue later when we talk more about the themes, the crux of what the film's really about is uh, women's bodies and women's bodies being controlled, being yeah. controlled specifically by males, by men. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and, and so from this point forward, you know, her worries really kind of intensify as she kind of suspects that there's something going on. Yeah, with she both. gets more and more weirded out by the neighbors yes. and by, by the neighbors. her husband's relationship to them. And the relationship between her and her husband. Right, and she gets and she's pregnant and she's starting yeah. to carry and she would like some privacy, but the neighbors now seem very involved, very yes. nosy. She needs to go see a doctor. They don't and like they her need, doctor. Yeah, they need to see her doctor, their doctor. Yes, you you must go. They interfere. Her husband allows yes. them to interfere. She seems like she has no agency whatsoever, which is maybe this is the reason why Mira, Mia Farrell got cast because she's such a waif of a woman. She's so small <laughs> and very dainty. Yeah, just so like weak that. That really comes across. Now, at one point, she cuts all of her hair off, cuts it really short. And yeah. anybody with a two-cent two uh, uh, psychology degree uh, discerned from reading um, a short hundred-word article in People magazine knows that if a woman drastically cuts her hair, it must mean that she has some psychological damage going on. <laughs> and she's trying to regain some of the agency that she lost. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Trying to control something that she Let me ask can, you let me ask you that. this question and see if your memory's good. How does her husband feel about her hair? <laughs> he hated it. <laughs> oh, and how do you know? I, I forget what he actually said about I it. I hate it. it. Some, yeah, it was, well, <laughs> I yeah, hate it, baby. He, he said something very derogatory after that that yeah. was just like, oh, that's harsh. You look like a um, waif of a woman and now you got no hair. <laughs> You know, I would say that she was the perfect cast because she looks very innocent. Yeah. Um, I've never really dug her voice. It drives yeah. me. But it's just a personal oh, taste because she. I think she's a, a very affecting actress, especially in this role. But uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the voice speaking kind of, of grates on me. Speaking of voices that I couldn't stand in this film, talk about many. Every time that neighborly woman spoke, I wanted to slap her. Not neighborly. That's an adjective. She's just a neighbor. Sorry. Because we're oh, going to find out so they're not yeah. neighborly. All right. Well, now let's anyway. get to business. Let's yes, find let's, out about <laughs> find Rosemary's out. baby. Yes. So the, her doctor doesn't prescribe any pills. Her doctor says, take Minnie's tonic every day. And there comes a point where Rosemary- Take, take a tonic, baby. <laughs> yeah. Where she where she starts to, baby, it's cold worry, outside. Where she starts to worry about 
the intentions of both her neighbors and her husband and her doctors about her unborn child. Yeah, let's 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 put all the joking uh, and silliness yeah. aside and think about the position of being afraid of your husband, your partner's intentions yeah. for you, and then worried that you're worried about your neighbors. Like like I've had neighbors that I don't agree with them or appreciate their point of view and i can just ignore them yeah this is worried about their intentions and the doctor's intentions this really suggests that she does not belong to herself and very very terrifying Uh, and so she she starts to lose her husband and there's some distance there that that's created in their interpersonal relationship at the closer he gets to the closer he gets to their neighbors, Roman and Minnie. I'm getting an acting gig, baby. The more his career starts to take off. Because that's one of the that's one of the the things that we you know that we didn't talk about. Um, is that the lead actor in this play that he's an understudy for it went blind on a you know on a whim. And Did he have some tonic? Well <laughs> perhaps they, some chalky gonna, chocolate. Well, uh, it turns out that they they switched ties, <laughs> and we, you know we'll find that out later in the film. But I know. when I put um, on a new tie, I always go <laughs> a yeah. bit crazy. So, so he, um, you know, so, uh, so the more he he starts to, his career starts to take off, the closer he becomes to the Cassavetes, and the the more distant he gets with his wife, and. It's so much so that he changes the way he sleeps with her. Like at night, he used to sleep with no pajamas on, you know, prior to conception. And then after the event, uh, he slept in his pajamas and there, there's a change in intimacy. Yeah. It's almost like he's having an affair. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Or that she's been given to someone else. <clears throat> anyway. Are you um, doing that teasing thing you like to do? <laughs> no, yeah, not you. Never. No, not not me. I, I don't ever tease. You never tease, baby. So, so that <laughs> so that kicks off. Now, there's an inter- there's another important thing that we need to bring up here. As she starts to become more paranoid about people uh, and her surroundings, she is more closed off from her friends that she had. Uh, prior to them moving in to that apartment, uh, her real good friend Hutch. Uh, was also their old landlord. They moved out of that apartment into this apartment. And there's another dinner where prior to the first one with Roman that we didn't talk about, it's prior to them moving in where Hutch kind of gives them the history of this Bram Bramford apartment. Um, and it's not died. a very, it's not a very good one. <laughs> you right. know, it involves witchcraft and death and yet they still move in. Um, even though the apartment that they're moving into just had somebody die who was in a coma. Well, you can't really beat the view and that exposed (laughs) brick interior. But then there was that huge hutch in front of the closet. And anyway, um, yeah, well, I think that, that, that plays into, uh, the way real life abusers treat people. They, they do Mm. often cordon them off, find ways to alienate them from their friends and loved ones, people who can tether them to their reality. Uh, They would like to be the sole, uh, a person who abuses and manipulates another person would like to be the sole uh, 
I guess, life force for that other person. They're, they're the ones who yeah. dictate. They're the ones who kind of, if she's a, 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 a kite in the sky, they're the person holding the string at the bottom. And that gives power and control. And that's exactly what everybody wants with her because she is ultimately a vessel for something else that they want. She is an object. She becomes no longer the subject character personality. She is an object. Yeah. And so the one person that she has a connection to Hutch, you know, he does come over to her apartment um, and they have a conversation, but then when he leaves, you know, something bad happens to him and she gets further alienated. You know, he too ends up in a coma and, <laughs> um, you know, weeks later he ends up, he ends up dying, but his, his widow has like, Rosemary shows up late to the graveside, late to the funeral. Uh, her husband didn't go, um, you know, she went by herself and his widow gives her a book and this is a book <laughs> and she, she has this message to him. She said, you know, on his deathbed, he regained consciousness and said, you know, said this phrase and he gives her the book. She gives her, you know, she gives Rosemary the book that Hutch wanted her to have and said that it would be instructive to her current situation. And this really kind of starts to push Rosemary. It kind of gives a target to her paranoia because now just her just general paranoia about, you know, strangeness of neighbors and the strangeness of her husband and this distance between them and feeling cut off uh, gives way to what well, now maybe there are witches at work and that there's a coven and that they have these ceremonies and they sing these hymns and they do these things and they want my baby as a sacrifice or as as something to use for their purposes and that's really the moment that that takes off and it only snowballs and gets bigger the the further the film goes on well there is a snowball's chance in hell in this story <laughs> Here's the thing about it. Here's the thing about it. The film does present this group of people. We're going to cut to it. They're presented yeah. as a witch coven. They worship Satan, like uh, many poor interpretations of the book of Revelation. They are hopeful for the child of uh, of the devil, the Antichrist, to be born. And yeah. a lot of horror films have played up on that kind of uh, language um and that's who she's carrying theoretically is the the child of, of satan that's who the mm. father is not guy <laughs> not guy yeah. and um and all of that seems absurd and silly uh, but i would like to stop for a moment and say that there's a certain kind of abuse that happens that really can make people and entertain ideas that seem incredibly absurd Mm. Um, yes, in the movie, these are real things because it's a horror film, <laughs> right? But in reality, also that it parallels, it just parallels reality that when it's what's capable, um, for a, for a healthy mind, once it's, you know, what is it capable of in terms of its, uh, its own sense of delusions and distortions and anxieties, it, 
when you have compounding traumas and we keep mm. talking about compounding traumas. All, all right. So let's cut yeah. to, you know, that this is, I mean, it's like a fever pitch. You know, we were getting, yeah. you know, more and more paranoia, more and more anxiety, more and more distancing, more and more annoyance, by the way, from the neighbors <laughs> as they keep, yeah. they're like mother hens. Just yeah. don't go over here, go over there, you know, don't eat this, drink, drink this, you know? Yeah. And then what happens one day? So one day, um, I'm trying to think what does specifically happen to like make her actually pack a bag and leave. Um, oh, she she. <laughs> so the catalyst for her deciding that her husband is now both a part of it and that it's an imminent imminent danger is she talked to the actor that was supposed to be the lead in the play that her husband got due to blindness. And I, I'm sorry, I, that's confusing because I can't recall the actor's name. The guy with the new tie. All right. Yeah. The guy with the new tie. And that's Listen, where baby, she, wear this tie. That's where she learns that, um, guy and him had switched ties and then he became blind. And then she also remembered that he took something, her husband Guy took something of Hutch's and then Hutch went into a coma and then later died. So she's piecing all of these things together because she's also reading that witchcraft book and how the covens function and, you know, the different, you know, spells, if you will. Um, and so... After she gets off of that that phone call, she packs a bag and leaves and tries to get a hold of her old doctor to be seen because she's due in like a couple of days. And she's very hysterical. And this is the part where um, she's waiting. She's in the waiting room to see that doctor. And uh, she reads the the article, the Time Magazine article uh, shows up in this in this sequence right before she right before she gets sold out by that doctor. Um, Dr. Hill uh, basically says, you know, it's okay. You know, he checks her vital signs, uh, calms her down and says, yes, I can find you a hospital. He basically tells her what she wanted to hear and gets her to lay down in his clinic and basically calls her husband and her other doctor um, because he didn't believe her. Either A, he didn't believe her, or B, he was in on it. Now, we don't see him in the final scene, uh, but you know, we can only assume that he just thought that she was, <laughs> thought she was, uh, hysterical and needed her doctor and her husband. I think it's, I, I don't think he's in on it. I think it's absolutely a case of not listening to women. Well, and that certainly, that certainly plays because, um, yeah, he, he basically tells her what he wants, what she wants to hear to calm her down. And then, you know sells are out all right and, let's I, I i'm eager um maybe our one listener it's one of our moms <laughs> yeah. maybe they're eager to let's let's get to I, let's get i can't take it anymore let's get to it yeah i want to find out what happens to this little brat so i she, mean excuse the, me yeah sweet little innocent child sweet little rosemary woodhouse lovely last name um so she delivers she goes into labor <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She goes into labor uh, and the doctor has to deliver. And they basically tell her the story that the baby didn't make it due to complications. And they try to basically play that off. And, you know, she's at home. 
She's not, she, they're trying to give her pills and medicine to help with it. And she's in and out, in and out of, you know, consciousness at this point due to the drugs. Um, and they're also trying to get her to pump milk, which is weird. Uh, and I, you can't really, I, I don't recall the story that they gave her for that. Uh, you know, I think the midwives probably gave her a, a story of, you know, you need to do this to help your body, blah, blah, blah. Uh, which, you know, I, I don't know how difficult it is, although I've watched my wife try to do it and I'm sure it doesn't feel good. Um, Yes. It's a very difficult process. Uh, so she wakes up from a stupor because I'm going yeah. to save you. I'm going to save you right now from where you Do could it. accidentally go with your commentary and say that she's alone. Going with this. Well, you don't either. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm protecting you from you. Because oh, your wife might things. accidentally listen to this. Anyway. Thanks, yeah. So, <laughs> Good call. So anyway, so he wakes up, she wakes up, she's a stupor. There's yeah. like, you know, some, some milk stuff, whatever. And then. Well, she believes that the baby is alive because she hears crying. She hears crying. Yes. Yeah. And that's the thing is in the, in the husband, again, the, less, the, the word gaslighting has been yes. used on this. It's He is the grade A gaslighter of all gaslighters. <laughs> I, I don't even know what that means, but he's a big time gaslighter. He's yes. completely making her feel crazy. Yes. And she's absolutely correct. Uh, he says, there's a baby uh, upstairs above us. You know, hey, baby, there's a baby <laughs> yeah, up there, baby. Yeah, yeah, see? And, uh, Throwing a C there. And you're, uh, see, uh, let's change the ties right, and see what happens. Right see? And um, then, you know, there's more of the nuts and the, the – Yeah, the, just so the as, we get to the, as we get to the, the end sequence, I think it's, you know, the big finish where you want to be – she she happens upon a knife in the kitchen to protect herself because she's going back to that very closet that we saw in the very beginning that was blocked by that armoire because there is a hidden door that leads into the apartment of her neighbors, <laughs> uh, Minnie and Roman, and she's expecting to she's expecting a they confrontation. They really get around, yeah. don't they? They do. And so she walks in, and they're there in this parlor. You know, there's a bunch of people standing around. Like Dr. Saperstein. Saperstein, her Guy husband, Guy, talking to Minnie. Yeah. Roman's there, you know, uh, the the midwife that's been taking care of her. And Is anybody pills. drinking a glass of scotch in like a oh, highball shit. glass? There's like a bunch of people drinking there, it looked like. Smoking cigarettes. Yes, they're having quite the party. <laughs> and <laughs> unfiltered cigarettes. Sorry, I ruined your Black Panther party. Anyway, yeah, that, I don't that, know why that made me think of Forrest yeah, Gump. That was a bad impersonation, <laughs> it's, but it's a great it's, line. It's <laughs> great line. Sorry, I butchered it. Uh, but we see this bassinet that's all covered in black off into the corner. And it, you know the camera's slowly Strange choice it. for colors. <laughs> slowly drawing. Is it really strange? Given the given the line the lines that come next. So you know, she basically walks up to it, looks at it, freaks out, like, what have you done to his eyes? Right? You know, because at this point, she's still thinking that it's a happy, healthy baby. She's not thinking she got, you know, impregnated by the devil. Um, but she's about to find out because he, his eyes don't look like Guy's eyes. And Roman said, well, Guy's not his father. Satan is. And They're scary eyes. Yes, they're scary eyes. And, um, you know, Satan came up from hell and begat a son of a mortal woman. And, you know, he goes, I, I've got this speech typed out because it's important anyway. Um, but basically, <laughs> Satan did it. This is Satan's child, Adrian. And he's going to, you know, 
do wonderful things to the to the mighty and uh, as a recompense for all those people that were burned and tortured at the stake, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it ends very, you know, and we could talk about this ending, but basically Roman confronts her again and says, aren't you his mother? You know, like you're the only one that can calm him down. You're the only one that can take Cause care of him. Because there's baby, baby yeah. cries, baby yeah. tears. And the, you know, the baby tears, the baby cries because the midwife is <laughs> rocking his, <laughs> rocking his cradle too, too hard. And, and Rosemary's like, you're doing it too hard, you stupid wench. Like, get out of here. And she does it, calms him down. And Roman's like, you know, won't you take care of him? Because he is, after all, your baby, and yeah, it turns it turns the, that maternal instinct yeah. on. And then the creepy la 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 in Rosemary's voice kind of ends, and you know, you float away out back out the labyrinth. It's like that song from the, the movie The Burbs. Satan la, is la, good. La, la, Satan yeah. is our pal. Satan <laughs> is good. Satan is our pal. <laughs> oh God, what a what a wonderful <laughs> film that is. I can't, I'm going to call it a film. It's most likely a movie in popcorn cinema. Best. Yeah, yeah. It's wonderful yeah. satire. Well, okay. Now let's move on to some themes uh because yeah. uh because I think there's these tentpole themes I want to talk about. One is the what is the uh, the suspicion a paranoia of the neighbor. And yeah. I I think that that, you know, the, the idea that you can be really close to somebody who uh has your, you know, bad intentions has the ability to hurt you. Right. Um it's probably something only that's only terrifying to somebody who's been hurt by someone close to them. But there is the notion of, uh, of, of the, just the paranoia that follows us around as we think about who is sharing space with us. That's yeah, one well, of the themes. To piggyback off of that, you know, as, as a modern viewer going back and watching this film, it's almost unthinkable for people living in apartments to be as close to their neighbors <laughs> as they are to each other. Just because we have this inbuilt neighborly suspicion, right? We have this the suspicion of the other and you know, we don't necessarily extend ourselves to our neighbors is what I'm trying to say, especially in apartments or and it could be different in like a major metropolitan city yeah i don't know but i feel like us like a a modern viewer would be like wow they're really in in their business yeah well i think i mean i I definitely think the way we've gone about meeting people has changed i mean we we, you know i mean i've talked to single friends and you know i ask about besides going online and on the apps like how do you meet people and you know the weird thing is is the, the way that you know, the way that I met my, my wife, you know, you know, meet her out in the world and talk to her and there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't really happen. I, I, one friend told me, he's like, unless you already know the person talking to them is creepy. Mm. You got to know them to get to know them, which <laughs> yeah, I guess that's yeah. the reason why pickleball exists. But anyway, um, another one of these tent pole kind of things that we talked about is, is, is religion. So I've already mm-hmm. hit on this a bunch, but where this is situated culturally is very significant. I mean, again, all the cultural uh, oddities going on, not just in the 60s, but in 1968. Yeah. It, it was one of the most strange and challenging years of the 20th century. And then, of course, you have that human a vitae, that uh, the papal encyclical that is much derided now. Like 
people mm-hmm. and the even in the, a lot of Catholic thinkers knock it and talk about it being backward. Now, of course, there's a spectrum of Catholic thought. Some sure. are more conservative, some are more progressive. Um, uh, but I've read before in places that, well, you know, it's really kind of backwards thinking in terms of birth control, but one one element, one uh, redemptive element of it is that uh, the Pope was uh, very prophetic in saying once we pass legislation for the pill, all of these uh, sorts of sexual practices and uh, li- uh, liberalisms will will take place in society. And look, they all have. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not here to argue any of that, but yeah, yeah, it is certainly a questioning of authority, a suspicion of, 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 of the, of the religious authority, because it in some way, shape or form um, does tell you how to live or gives you guidelines for life. And mm-hmm. it also is the, especially in that time, the, uh, the, the one, the religion that, kind of had the say and sway in culture. Right, right. I'm assuming yep. if it were a different religion, it, they, they would have the, the target on them. When, what year <laughs> was the, um, oh, the, the, the abortion Supreme Court, what year was that case? That took place in the 60s, correct? Nope, 73, Roe v. Wade. Oh, yeah, Roe v. Wade. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, but right around the same time. Um, yeah. Another thing that we can talk about in terms of religion is that, you know, that that Time magazine coming out, you know, Is God Dead? Uh, that wasn't made up for the movie. It came out again in 66. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was reflecting on what's called radical theology. Um, the, the basis of this kind of theology comes, you know, very famously is with Friedrich Nietzsche. A German philosopher who, you know, made the comment in one of his writings that God is dead. Nietzsche was an incredible stylist, and he's got this character and 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 kind of kind of a madman sort. Someone who is up in the mountains on a hill in the forest, kind of runs down with a a lantern, announcing the death of God to <laughs> society. But no one listens, and so the the conclusion is that I we announced the death of God, but no one cared to hear it. Um, mm. For Nietzsche's, and we're not talking about like God is a biological being that dies like all other biological beings, and hence we can have it at a funeral. It's that the, the concept, excuse me, it's the concept of God is a an, a, an explanatory concept for mm. the cosmos. Uh, or for morals or ethics or whatnot, no longer mm-hmm. needs to exist, given the understanding that we've gained through the Enlightenment and the modern world of rationality, mm-hmm. science, and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, radical theology comes on a lot of. Uh, there's like a lot of you know Christian theologians working in this department. Uh, Altizer being one, and they in their own ways are talking about death of God theology. Is what what it's also called a kind of mm. concept of a uh, people want to put Bonhoeffer here and call it a religionless Christianity and and they're all shades of meaning here. Um, sometimes yeah. it just means uh, they can we talk about ultimate concern without using the old language of God? Can we talk about it? Uh, meaning there's something more out there. It's kind of general sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've been to conferences where I've actually met 
people who were practicing systematic theologians who uh, came at it from an atheist perspective. They, they're mm. writing on Irenaeus of Lyon or Augustine or Aquinas, and they're coming at it from a purely intellectual exercise, which mm-hmm. to me seemed like a very big waste of time. <laughs> uh, might as well just go into philosophy of religion. And these are in inside yeah. ballgame language, yeah. I understand. But my point being, Death of God theology is radical theology. The question about how we bracket God and mm-hmm. separate God away from the content of religion and theology. This yeah. was happening big time in the 60s, so much so that Time Magazine actually put together this on the cover. This cover, yeah. And it works well for the film. Yeah, it does. And, I, you know, for me, the, the religion piece is, is a little different um, in that just from a from the the film's perspective and what roman says i found to be well ironic um just because what he says in that speech uh, he basically says that satan came up from hell this is a quote now and begat a son of a mortal woman that he shall overthrow the mighty and lay waste their temples he shall redeem the despised <laughs> and wreak vengeance in the name of the burned and tortured. Essentially, what uh, Dear Roman is talking about is uh, basically, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, Institutional crimes, right? Uh, Committed in the name of religion. Uh, You could talk about uh, the, the, the... Salem witch trials and the, all the burnings and torturings of people who don't believe or confess in Christianity. And uh, those are the atrocities committed by the institutional church, not necessarily what, how scripture would have a, <clears throat> somebody act. Well, it's actually, yeah, you're, 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 you got it dead to rights there. And that, and that's the difficulty for Christians, right, working and thinking and writing and conceptualizing not just their lives but academically today because uh, there is the history of institutionality and there is the uh, mainlining of the faith where it becomes part and parcel, just a a subculture of the bigger culture, whereas – it was most certainly meant to be countercultural and started small yeah. and as a little sect that went against the grain, um, not just in terms of metaphysical belief, but lifestyle and actually did enormous, wonderful things for the Western world and the world of uh, anywhere it influenced. Well, then it becomes part and parcel of, of nation states and governments it becomes a tool for the nation state in the 16th century so much so that there's a commingling of nationhood and and religion, and then all kinds of really bad things happen when we do that. And yeah. certainly, the blending of 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 modernistic philosophies with Christianity has done a lot to disenchant the world inappropriately. And there's a lot, and yeah. and it's it's the religion of the Magnificat, which is interesting. That's where Mary says, "My soul magnifies the Lord." And what you have is this entire song where the lowly are exalted and the high and mighty are brought low. Right. You don't get off well if you're powerful. (laughs) No. And and I think that's part of, you know, and if you go back to, if you go back to the dinner scene 
where Roman first mentioned the hypocrisy of the church and the Pope specifically of the Catholic tradition. And he talked about the hypocrisies that led to the Protestant Reformation through Luther, right? The selling of indulgences. I'm sure the play talks about this. I'm not familiar with the play. Um, I did look it up briefly. Um, so it's a it's a it's a play about Luther's you know Luther's life. So I can only imagine that it brings up a selling of indulgences and stuff like that. Lots of gas passing and beer drinking. So Luther, <laughs> I've seen the movie. I've not seen the play. Um, but you know, but it goes back to his it goes back to his his commentary on the injustices perpetrated by the power of the institutional church which then makes his call for his call for redemption uh all the more just i don't know shocking um that he might overthrow the mighty and lay waste their temples he's specifically talking about the the um the the largest societal religion and given that time period in our culture you know like you had said the the catholic church held a lot of power societally um in their you know in their social imaginations and so uh, this it's just a, this complete inversion of this Christian idea but of redemption, it's, but it, but it may betray itself within the internal logic, right? Like what oh, it sure. is actually calling for uh, is some sense the Magnificat. It's calling right. for the re- reversal of the, uh, the you know of the weak and lowly and the powerful yeah. and haughty. And the assumption is the powerful and haughty are abusers. Into uh, that point. The Antichrist here is an apropos name. It just means against Christ. So they're using Christ. This, the, the, the neighbors are using Christ as a symbol for actually everything that's wrong and evil. Right. And the Antichrist, which is that which will bring justice. Yeah. When ultimately in the New Testament text and in Revelation where you have this, all this language of the beast and the dragon and the woman and the baby and all this stuff where this is drawn from, uh, you, you, yeah. the Antichrist is the, is the monstrous, powerful, almost certainly has to do with Rome and yeah. empires that are uh, bloodthirsty as they seek to snuff out the innocence and peaceable kingdom of God. So it's an inversion, and perhaps it doesn't understand its own logic. It doesn't understand its own logic because (laughs) – and whenever I said irony, uh, whenever we were talking about the dinner scene, whenever Minnie is like, oh, the robes and the jewels and you know the the rituals and all this stuff. And it's like, have you looked at the adornments of their apartment? (laughs) It's not like they're paupers. Right. No, no, definitely. Definitely. So, well, and, and so, and so perhaps, perhaps in the, in the making of this film, what it is, is let's get some low hanging fruit on religion because, yeah. because we're making a film about Rosemary giving birth to the, the, the same child. So spawn yeah. of Satan. So low hanging fruit stuff that uh, it's actually kind of yawn worthy and boring to criticize because <laughs> uh, of course it's like yeah. Christianity's internal logic criticizes that of itself uh, or what people have done in its name. What is more profound and probably the main point of the film is the agency of women and yeah. uh, uh, over their own bodies. And, and therefore, I think this is a woman's liberation film. This yeah. is a film that is uh, thumbing its nose at religious institutions like the Catholic Church for 
being uh, anti-abortion, for being anti-the pill. Um, it's it's thumbing its nose at certain certain conceptions of the traditional family where there's a patriarchal uh, yes. image. Yeah. Um, and I say where the only I mean, where the only agency of the woman is through the children. Yeah, and and I say certain. Uh, images and certain because th- this is not prescribed per se, right? Yeah. Um, I, I I firmly believe in a lot of historic religious texts, Christian and otherwise, Jewish. Uh, is, when we're we're reading a lot of 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 the language between men and women, what we're reading about is not prescriptive as much as it is descriptive. Descriptive, yeah. Um, there are certainly times it's prescriptive, and I would say problematic, but they're operating within the social imagination that they've been giving that's right um uh, to write with uh but the overall consistency or the overall to be logically consistent overall with let's say the new testament is about the ultimate liberation it's about freeing up freeing up opening others to goodness and grace not constricting and binding uh certainly against your choice um yeah and uh, but 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 it's not just the, the the church. It could be you know in the the, the state. This is again right pre Roe v Wade, and there's there's some mm-hmm. other dramatic abortion cases going on right before Roe v Wade. Yeah, but you know this is not far from the time where uh, the, the civil rights movement, as it applied to uh, the more feminist portrait, is taking place. Where we're talking about equal pay for equal work, talking right. about the ability to go out and earn a living, and and so yes, on. yeah, go out earn a living and and have have agency apart from a man and apart from you know having your worth been determined upon how many children you can have and you know how how smoothly your home runs, um, <laughs> you know because we didn't need you. The war was over, right? Uh, the forties were long gone and we need you to go back to the home uh thank you for your service yeah yeah so like you know <laughs> like like you know i mean yeah. i think this is just another case and this is the reason why we have this podcast is that like you know this film yeah i mean on one level it's it's a couple in new york city who got some kooky neighbors who turn out to be more than just kooky Right. Uh, there's a deal made with the devil. <laughs> the space could, in fact, be haunted because of all of the bad things that have happened. Yeah, and, and there's a fa- there's a pact made with the devil, so you can right. have your own, you know, your cake and eat it too in the acting world. And then, <laughs> yeah. oh, by the way, what you got to do though is you got to hand over your child. Yeah, right? yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. Know, and let, let let it become impregnated. Well, no, no, no. You Satan. don't have to hand over your child. You have to hand over your wife to be, you know, loved by the devil. True. True. Sorry, she has to I be should. the she has to be the vessel for his seed. Yes. And and it's interesting the parallel it's not interesting. I, I say that word too much. The parallels between, you know, the incarnation that we see about I mean, it, it is a complete inversion because many says he chose you in all the world. Oh, right. Gee, th- gee thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so 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 that's what I'm saying is the, and, and then it could be like, well, the big reveal is creepy eyed thing. And yeah. oh, and what's really sickening is that she turns back toward this this creature, this monstrous creature, to mother it because see that's the maternal instinct. And that leaves you with this really uh very just I don't know, things that well, make you go <laughs> and <laughs> the thing is you could stop there and say that that's what it is. It's scary. And, and, 
or, or you realize that well, wait, 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 this is actually saying something deeper about our world. Well, the narratives we tell yeah. reveal social angst and social belief and social, uh, you know, I, well, a lot of times it's working out our worries, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and I think that is actually one of the few moments of grace in the entire film <laughs> when she, when she, you know, soothes the baby from crying. Maybe it's grace. I don't know the way, the way I see it. And it, you know, uh, grace is something I, I seldom live into. So uh, <laughs> far be it for me to know what grace is, but I will say that when I see it, I shudder thinking about the life that she has now. I'm well, sickened. I'm, di- yes, I'm disgusted. But, so you, it is certainly disgusting. I'm not going to take anything away from that. However, I will say that, you know, one of the big themes, you know, is this law is her loss of innocence, uh, if you will. And, but it, being the mother and while, yes, you will be surrounded by the coven, <laughs> You're the one that's going to be doing the raising, you know, so I guess knowing what I know about child development and the way we develop into persons as such, you know, she has an opportunity to show that child, even if it is the child of the devil, what love is. Good luck. And and that, but, but that, regardless of how the child reacts to that that's not going to diminish the love of her, the love for her child because yeah. it's her child. Yeah. I mean, true. I don't think that's so, what the film's saying. But, no, but, 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 and maybe I'm reading it this way because of the things that I'm reading currently, <laughs> you know, um, you know, right now, I guess where I'm at, uh, you know, reading, you know, David Bentley Hart's, you know, the all shall be saved book and, you know, a bunch of other stuff about, uh, you know, basically, um, universal restoration. And I, I can't help, but, but see this as a divine whisper in the darkness that both parts get it wrong. You know, when we talk about that religion piece, um, that, that they're expecting basically what the incarnation did. Uh, and it's a surprise to everyone involved. Uh, well, but with anyway, that, with yeah. that, no, no, because <laughs> we just, we just I, dumped way, way into the deep end. Sorry. Yeah, no, but with that, I think because because I do think that that is a you know to talk about it being beyond what people expect and surprises is, is apropos. Hannibal's bites. Let's take a bite out of this. Yes. Hello. Is this Clarice? Hello, Clarice. Did you think the film failed anywhere? I, it's a bit long. Yeah, I thought. It, you know, pacing, I couldn't just. It could just be because we're in 2023, but it seems a little slower pace. It seems very 60s. Yes, it was, and you know, uh, I think for me, it's just the pacing. I, I the cinematography was good. I, the pacing I like, has the sense of self-importance. <laughs> it's very slow, and and. and slow just just pretty much everything like the cuts the camera movement the just it's methodic 
And it's so, so that, methodical. It's like the opposite, the, the most opposite thing I can think of to like a, a Guy Ritchie film. It's like, bam, 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 bam. it's like, <laughs> but it's, but it, it does, it's got that very nice 1960s uh, artsy film feel to me of the slow pacing. Yeah. And that's why I called it self important. It feels self important. Like everything needs to be dwelled on in a profound way. But the camera yeah. is like an observer, you know, it's like, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I I see I see what you're saying, um, but for me that's my Hannibal's bites. I, yeah, it was just it, I I found myself watching the film going I I you know I kept hitting the screen going wow I still have 50 minutes left. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh god, I know what's so gonna it, happen. I, what's I gonna happen in that 50 minutes? I think it's totally affecting you. I mean, like like it's late right now for us to do this, and we stayed up too late watching it. Uh, certainly last night yeah and then i watched some of it this morning you know it's uh, so so i'm gonna go ahead and say even though i kind of gave mia farrow a little bit of difficult time because of her voice or whatnot um i think she's a great casting i wasn't really that thrilled with john cassavetes uh even though he's like buddy oh no wait guy (laughs) guy no even though he's he's like i just i don't know maybe i didn't see them as a couple a real couple uh, maybe that's also the point. Maybe I'm yeah, missing it yeah. because because it is kind of disconnected and disjointed. But I, I I don't know. I'm picking. If I'm nitpicking like this, then that means it's it. In my opinion, it's pretty darn good. Oh, my other Hannibal's bites is uh, Minnie's voice. Oh I, yes, I, it was like nails on a chalkboard. Every uh, time, go fix like, it and post. My God, make her shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Drink us tonic. Please yeah. deliver the line and get out. <laughs> well, um, oh. as we wrap up, we often ask the question, where do we go from here? Just so we can feel that once more with feeling from Buffy mm. the Vampire Slayer's musical episode. Where do we go from here? I don't know that we've talked about it. So you got yeah. any, uh, you got anywhere you want to go next, pal? Boy, I, I, dealer's I, choice. Dealer's choice. I don't have anything off the top of my head. Um. Well, no one wants to listen to us uh, meander about this. <laughs> they sure don't. <laughs> so, how's about we take a look at another what? old one or a new one? I don't know. I was just trying to be very boring. Older or new? Old, new, old, new. I don't know. <laughs> camera one, camera two. Camera one, camera two. So anyway, let's go ahead and <laughs> we'll pick one. We'll we'll go with it next time. Yeah. And anyway, it's been a joy to be with you all. Uh, we give each other a bit of a hard time, but that's what we like to do. And uh, you'll often see me in person rolling my eyes at his movie choices. And uh, he likes every <laughs> single movie. Wayne's World. Every what? movie. Come on. Brian likes it. No, Wayne's Come World is on. good, but you call camera Howard one, the Duck. Two. You call Howard the Duck a film. This that's, guy, this guy has harsh. no It's got standards. a cult following, okay? I do have a standard. Just because as a I hated following. Halloween 3. What do you want from me? That's a standard. Yeah, it was bad. Three more days till Halloween. It's a good movie. It didn't have the name Halloween. Oh, I thought you meant the new trilogy, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Three more days till Halloween. I didn't like how that film ended either. Go back and listen to that episode. I know it. I know it. All right, my friend. All right. Take care. God bless you all. And don't worry, my friends, what goes bump in the night. Well, I don't know. You can probably kick its butt. Take care. (laughs) Bye.